The second reading is taken from uh, Mark's Gospel, chapter 1, and we're looking at verses 40 to 45. And that's on page 1003. So Mark's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 40. A man with leprosy came to Jesus and begged him on his knees, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately, the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. Thank you, Jane. Thank you, John, for those two readings. Um, Let's pray with Mark's Gospel still open, if you're able just to keep a a finger in that uh, bit of Mark. We acknowledge that uh, that Old Testament reading seems a a million miles away from our world, and even uh, that account about Jesus seems pretty remote to us. But we thank you that you delight to bridge the gap. You want to speak to us this morning. We thank you that by your spirit these words can uh, bring us communication direct from you. And we rejoice in that and pray that you would make yourself known to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I've got good news for you this morning, and it's this. You are far worse than you think you are. I admit, uh, most people, that probably sounds like bad news. We usually want to think that things are okay and that we are fairly good. And we don't normally like it when someone tells us something different. But it doesn't take much to work it out. In some situations, to discover you are worse than you think you are is actually good news. Imagine, for the sake of argument, I'm refusing to see a doctor because I don't think the lump I've found is anything to worry about. In that situation, discovering I'm worse than I think I am and that it's cancerous could actually be good news if an accurate diagnosis opens the door to removing the problem. But you need the uncomfortable reality check first, don't you? And that is true in the spiritual realm, not just physically. When it comes to our standing with God... We need an accurate assessment, which may not always be what we want to hear. Not in a feel-good culture, where we want to be optimistic about how we are with God. But if we find out that we are worse than we think we are, that sin runs deeper than we ever imagined in our lives and in our personality... And that reality check opens us up to God dealing radically with our sin, then in that sort of circumstance, the unwelcome cold shower of reality may be good news. 
Fillmore is an evangelist who refers to what he calls the Simon Cowell moment. That's when the, uh, this is not particularly my world, I don't know if it's your world, but that's when the showbiz hopeful who's auditioning on X Factor or something like that, they're trying to get on TV, they dream of emerging victorious from the final with a multi-million deal for their musical future. So you've probably seen the type of contestant who, in the early stages of the show, thinks that they're fantastic. It's probably just down to the amazing acoustics in their shower or something like that, I don't know. And then the Simon Cowell moment comes, and it's a blunt, withering review from the only person who matters in that setting. Up to that moment, they're blissfully unaware that they can't really sing very well at all. And ignorance is bliss. But actually, reality is better. It's better for the wannabe Ed Sheeran or the wannabe Beyonce. It's better for everybody else as well. Now today, we're looking at an account where Jesus heals a leper. And I hasten to say that Jesus is very different from Simon Cowell. But the episode is something of a reality check for us. Not because we are ever likely to get leprosy, but because leprosy is a picture in the Bible of our sin and the way it makes us unclean before God. And as soon as I say that, we're left feeling, well, I am, wow, the verdict the Bible places on us is that we are far worse than we think we are. Let me read from chapter 1, verse 40 in Mark's Gospel. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees. I suppose that may be a mark of respect for him. Did he know something about Jesus already? But it's certainly saying this guy was desperate. He knew how desperate his situation was. If you're willing, you can make me clean. So you visualize the scene. Suddenly we see the crowds around Jesus. We've read a lot about the crowds over the last few weeks. The crowds just scatter. A man is ringing a bell, shouting out, unclean, unclean. And I suppose if there were crowds around them, mothers are clutching children to their sides as this repulsive-looking specimen passes. Up to this point, you see, Jesus has always been jostled. Now, the crowd scatters because of this man. It must be something like that, because there was a triple whammy effect to leprosy. It looked disgusting as the ulcers and nodules and then deformed bones disfigured the body. It was considered highly contagious and therefore a hazard to others. And to crown it all, it made you ceremonially unclean. So if anyone had any contact with you, they were immediately defiled as well. They had to be quarantined off from normal social intercourse. And that, biblically is an image to describe all of us. We're made unclean by our sin. We're far worse than we think we are. Corrupted more deeply and more seriously than we like to think. That's true even after we've received the Holy Spirit. The effects of our sinful nature are still there in our lives in this life. That has implications in lots of ways. I often find myself saying to people who are having trouble in their marriage, the problem in this marriage, as in every marriage, is that there are two sinful people in the marriage. And we rarely see that clearly. If 
you're mad, you'll know exactly what I mean. We rarely see that. We can locate the disfiguring effect of sin in other people easily enough, but we're blind to it in ourselves, or more blind to it. Now, of course, in, in many marriages, there is one person who, for whatever reason, leads the way in sinful behavior, perhaps even abusive behavior. I'm not trying to minimize that. But because we are sinful people, we will often respond sinfully to being sinned against. And if I always locate the problems out there and never in here, I am actually further from the truth than I might think. We hate to imagine it, but we bring our own sin to every relationship problem in our family or in the church, or I might even say on the political landscape today. I contribute to every breakdown in relationship on a human level, let alone when it comes to Almighty God. And for the Bible to hold a mirror to us by showing us our sin and disfigurement in such ugly terms as leprosy, that may be very hard to take, except that it is good news if there is someone who can deal with our uncleanness. And that's the good news of this passage. Jesus can handle it. So in fact, I sold you short in my introduction. You and I are far worse than we think, but far more deeply loved than we can dare imagine as well. Let me point you to the character of Jesus Christ here, and I hope you will leave encouraged by what good news this Bible passage is for all of us. Perhaps the first note on Jesus' character is in verse 41, and it's slightly unexpected, isn't it? Uh, Just see the adjective described him. It adds poignancy to the whole miracle that follows. Verse 41, Jesus was indignant. I think that's unexpected. It's not what you'd expect if you bought into the sort of decaf Jesus, a Jesus who's got all emotion taken out of him. He's not very British Jesus, is he? We Brits almost pride ourselves on our absence of emotion. My wife, Susu, chuckles about the way when Brits are offered a second helping by their hosts, they politely refuse. Oh, no, I couldn't possibly. And they do that once. They probably do it twice. And maybe, just maybe on the third occasion, they'll say, oh, go on then, just a bit, which was what they wanted all along. Culturally, we can't even show enthusiasm about a second helping. We're not given to displays of emotion. But Jesus was a real flesh and blood human being with definite emotional responses to the human situations he encountered. Indignant. So it hit him in the pit of the stomach when he encountered this disfigured alienated, outcast, leper. He felt it viscerally. This should not be. And then he reached across the divide. He reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. It almost sounds like Jesus had to reach out because it sounds like instinctively, this could be good psychologically, the lepers got used to recoiling from human contact over the years, so he had to reach out to touch him. I think we're wrong if we think of Jesus as pretty cool and detached. We imagine he says these words perhaps like Spock would speak in Star Trek, I am willing. It wasn't sort of robotic like that. 
Jesus reached across the distance, and maybe it was the first touch the leper had had from another human being in years and years. I am willing. Be clean. And verse 42, immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Now, most people who I know are beyond doing stupid childish pranks. But um, if you aren't, you will know. Or if you weren't in the past, you'll know that you can have lots of fun because salt and sugar look so similar. There are scope for pranks. So you've only got to put a tiny bit of salt in a bowl of sugar and it affects the taste pretty dramatically. It defiles it. It doesn't work like that in reverse. A small bit of sugar can't sweeten a bowl of salt. And everything tells us to expect that even a little brief contact with leprosy should defile Jesus. The whole law just assumed that was how it would work. Normally, a clean person touching a leper doesn't sweeten them at all. In this case, all the normal rules get reversed, and instead of defilement flowing from the leper to Jesus, cleansing flows from Jesus to the leper. That's completely unheard of. Then another surprise in the story, unheard of, is how Jesus wants it to stay. Um, Presumably that's because he's wanting the crowds not to mob him for all the wrong reasons. Let's follow it on from verse 43. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. That's actually a bit of a decaf translation there. This is decaf Jesus again. Literally, it's with a roar, real emotion again. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Why the emotion, the strong emotion as he gives that command? Well, think back to our reading in Leviticus. The priests were like quarantine officers under Israelite law. Perhaps I just need to say in passing That's Israelite law. It's not a direct word that we should obey in exactly the same way that they were expected to. So don't uh, panic if you're worried about your situation there as directly related to by those laws. The priests were there as quarantine officers under Israelite law. And therefore it was a kindness to the healed leper for Jesus to send him to the priest. Because unless he gets their health certificate... There's no way he can be reintegrated back into society. But there is more here, isn't there? Because every priest knew that faced with leprosy, the best they could ever do is to diagnose or to certify healing. They can't do what Jesus does. That's not in their gift. So if you imagine the scene, I'm sorry if my imaginations have gone a bit crazy here. The man, Jesus, goes and knocks on the door uh, the cubbyhole where the priest is, knock, knock, knock. Ugh, what are you doing here? Get away, says the priest, shutting the door. No, 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 hang on a minute, says the leper. You see, I'm, I'm clean now. Jesus has made me clean. And there's an astonished look at that point on both their faces. Maybe the penny drops as the priest remembers that in all the Old Testament, the only two people ever cured of leprosy that are down in the accounts Um, uh, uh, Moses' sister Miriam and a foreign soldier Naaman and in both cases they were only healed by God's direct personal intervention so what 
Jesus is communicating, this is his testimony to them, that's the word he uses, is that he is doing things that they can't do and that only God can do. And of course it's a beautiful insight into the character of God. You stop for a second on Jesus' answer to the question, are you willing? I am willing, he says. So gracious of him, especially as we've already thought when you recognize that uh, leprosy is a picture in the Bible of the spiritual condition we're all in. Like leprosy, sin is a fast-spreading, fatal disease which leaves us unclean before God. We should be quarantined off from God in rugby parlance, in the sin bin. But is God willing to come close to us? Answer, yes, he is. It's never in question. Does God want a relationship with me and you? Unclean me and you. Does he want to reach out and touch our lives? He might very well recoil from us in disgust, but he doesn't. He longs, as it were, to get his hands on us. There comes a point in the marriage service where the minister says to the bridegroom, so-and-so, will you take this person to be your wife? Will you love her, comfort her, honor and protect her, and forsaking all others, be faithful to her as long as you both shall live? And he answers, I will. Which is not usually a moment of great suspense. Will he or won't he? What's he going to say? We're not like that, are we, when we're in that situation? I know there have been exceptions. It was nice the other day we did, I did this wedding where somebody was so keen to get the I will bit out that they didn't wait for the rest of the questions that I was asking. Right in there. It's not usually much suspense. There was an occasion where there was one groom faced by a rather formidable young lady and all he could come up with was a sort of Elizabethan variation. He just said, I wilt. But by and large, there's not any doubt. I will. When God has asked the question, will you take the human race to cleanse them and restore them to yourself? His answer resounds down the centuries. I will. No hesitation. I am willing. The only question is whether we will acknowledge that we have a problem and then we'll actually fall down before Jesus like the leper and ask him. Because God is willing. And that surely is good news, really good news. We're much more deeply disfigured than we imagine, but more deeply loved than we dare to hope. And by someone who can do something about it, dealing with sin by dying for our sin. I wonder if you notice the footnote in the episode here, the leper knew what had happened to him was good news, and he told everyone he could about it in direct disobedience to the command Jesus had roared at him. Verse 45, instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. I don't know if that's an echo of the sort of language we had in Leviticus. The one who deals with leprosy ends up, as it were, treated like a leper, isolated by what's happened in the aftermath of this situation. It was a pattern of his life that he would go to the outcast place outside the city wall, abandoned by his father as he died on the cross to deal with the contagion 
of our sin. So he stayed outside in lonely places, yet the people still came to him from everywhere. Don't tell anyone, just the priests. So he told anyone and everyone. He's disobedient to Jesus. It's inconvenient for Jesus. I suppose it's understandable, given what had happened to him. He knew he'd experienced something amazing, and he therefore spoke about it. Ah, In our situation, we aren't commanded to keep quiet the good news of what Jesus had done for us. It's the exact opposite, isn't it? But could it be that we hold back from talking about Jesus simply because we haven't really appreciated the good news of what he's done for us? And might it be the case that we haven't really appreciated the good news of what he's done for us because we never really saw how bad the bad news of our situation was? Let's pray together. We pray, Heavenly Father, for a a greater self-knowledge for each one of us. We read about the person in the Bible that flatters themselves too much to detect or hate their own sin. And that could easily be each one of us here, Lord. We pray that you would show us how awful the legacy of sin in our lives is. And then lead us to the wonder of the cleansing that you provide. Thank you that Jesus can make a huge difference, not just to our eternal destiny, but even to the grip of sin on our lives uh, in daily existence today. And we pray that we would know how greatly we're loved by him, all that he's done for us. We pray that it would even lead to us speaking freely about the Lord Jesus as we have opportunities, particularly at this time of year. Please open our lips to declare his praise. And we ask it, Heavenly Father, for the honor and glory of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.